I was just thinking about Kelly playing that before. If y'all are here today when he was practicing, he like rocked it out. So I mean, my ears were hurting. I was like, too much. But anyway, um, but I mean, I, it, one of the, my friends came here recently. and said, I just can't believe that he can play in a gym and play the drums so well because it's so hard to like keep it like toned back a little bit because this place is like echoing like my mic is right now. But um, no. But anyway, I just thought about that. Also, just be praying for Heather. She's really sick this morning, not feeling good, and just um, he was able to come back, but it, he's not not feeling very great. So, also, I was going to say, Cliff said we need to have some more like Victory in Jesus type songs. Is that what you think? Cliff's back with us today. It's really uh, really exciting to see him here and have him here. He's um, been working a, out of town, but he's uh, back with us, and we'll see. So, if you would just um, pray with me as we get started, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the um, amazing privilege we have of coming here together today. We ask that you just give us wisdom, that we might understand your truth, Lord. We, it's hard for us oftentimes to, to rightly, as Mike said earlier, to, to bring these things into our hearts and to capture our thoughts on a daily basis. It's so easy to, to get this in our heads on a Sunday, but not, not throughout the week when trouble comes or difficulties or even success, and just to see your hand at work and your presence is the most important thing for us that we could ever grasp, and so I pray that you would open our eyes to see this this morning, in Christ's name, amen. So several weeks ago, you'll be in Genesis 39, if uh, you haven't turned there, you can turn there. Several weeks ago, we began to study the life of Joseph, and I think it's just important to understand that, just something to grasp, and it really helped me, like back in the day when I started studying the Bible, I would study like an Abraham or an Isaac or Jacob or somebody like that or Daniel and I would say, you know, like Daniel chapters 1 through 6, that's a character study. And so I would say, well, I would like to be like Daniel and have that kind of resolve and I would read my Bibles, my Bible and Bible characters almost as character stories and that would be it and I wouldn't see the big story. And I remember someone that just kind of walking me through this, but this whole Genesis 37 through uh, through 50 is about the preservation of the promise. God made a promise to Abram. And he said that you will have great descendants, they'll have a land, and I will bless you. And through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The story of Joseph is about the preservation of that promise in the face of coming disaster. And so we need to see that. I think it's very important to see that. But as we do get started, we're going to look at the character and we're going to say, hey, there's some good things to emulate. But that's not the bigger story. The bigger story is about God preserving His people. And you need to see that, and we both need to see that, and we will see that as we unpack this this morning. Now, as we think about Joseph's life, you remember Joseph has a younger brother named Benjamin. He was probably born somewhat later than Joseph, and so Joseph is the son of, the, of Jacob's most, his favorite wife. And so he like uh, treated him with uh, very uh, much of a care, of love. He, he, he kind of set him apart as the son's as you will see as we kind of work through that. And so he's kind of the, his father, the apple of his father's eye. And so that's kind of important just to note as we were thinking about this. And we said in chapter 37, as we looked at the story, we understand that what happened was his brothers could not stand him. One of the reasons they couldn't stand him was because he stood up for what was right. They were doing bad stuff. Joseph goes, he finds his brothers, he sees that they are, he tells his father, and they're angry. The other thing is, is he walked around as a little child or as a young man with this, this coat on that said that he's separate. He is like the, the, the one that I am investing all my money in, my care. I put him as a high, in a high place. 
And so he's wearing a coat that made his brothers say, he's favored, we're not. And so there was jealousy. The third thing you would say about just kind of their relationship with him is that he, Joseph had dreams in chapter 37, and they couldn't stand them because Joseph told them that you will be bowing down to me in those dreams. That, that's kind of the idea. And so that made them just like they couldn't stand it. So eventually what we find out is one day he's on his way to find his brothers. His father had sent him out. He gets on the way. They see him. The brothers are watching him, and they think, what are we going to do? And someone says, let's kill him. So they all agree, and then Reuben steps in, the older brother, and says, don't do that. Just throw him in a pit. They throw him in a pit, and basically Reuben's going to go try to save him. He didn't get there in time. And the brothers are sitting there, and they're eating together, and he's yelling, please let me out. And they see this band of, of traitors coming through, and they say, well, let's drag him out, sell him into to slavery, and forget about him. And so they did this. And what we find out is you kind of unpack the story. When we get to chapter 39, we pick back up there. And in chapter 39, you see that he's been sold to an Egyptian named Potiphar, and he's living in his house. And that's kind of where we are today as we're unpacking this. And the thing that you'll see is, is a slave, both in chapter 39, he starts out as a slave, then as a prisoner. He, he prospers but experiences a lot of adversity. That's kind of what's going on in the, the thrust of this. And maybe the theme you could say is this. The Lord was with Joseph in slavery and prison, both prospering and preserving him while not alleviating his suffering. So you say, well, what would that mean for me? Like if I'm to stop here and say, what does that tell us? The Lord is with us not only in prosperity, but also in adversity. The Lord is with us it, it, not only in prosperity, but also in adversity. I think it's important to note because, again, like I said this morning, as I was praying for different people in this church, and I'm thinking about people, and they're in my mind, I'm thinking, a lot of us, all of us here need to hear this. It's very important to see. Now, why does someone suffer like Joseph is suffering? If you remember, uh, uh, Job had some friends who had an answer. Jo Joseph must have been sinning, so therefore he's suffering. Joseph must have missed God's plan. He's suffering. He, they explained it in a way that you would say there's an element of wisdom there, but that's not the whole story. You don't always suffer just because you've sinned. Sometimes you suffer when you haven't sinned. And there's nothing in this story that's telling us that Joseph had done that. But here's the thing. What, what the Bible says, especially in 1 Peter, is when you do suffer for doing what is right, this brings uh, praise to God. This is a God-honoring thing. When you suffer for doing what is, what is right, and you respond rightly, that it honors the Lord. And so I just think it's important because I think we all want to say, man, I believe that when we, we, when we do right, we prosper. Everybody's like, God's with us. But when you do right and you don't prosper, nobody believes God's with you. And I think it's important for us to just see that. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. For you know that te the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So he's saying there's something about you receive the suffering, you receive the trial, you receive the struggle as part of the hand of God to grow you up. Now part of that's what's going to happen with Joseph, certainly he's going to grow up in that, but even more so, God is going to get maximum glory and accomplish His plan through the life of Joseph, through His suffering. Without His suffering, there is no salvation. 
for all these people. We're going to see this as we unpack it later and move through the rest of the story. So I, I just want to mention one other thing about that. Uh, and I think it just kind of goes along just so you get it in your head. Obedience to the Lord in this chapter did not eliminate but enhance the trial. Surprise you? Obedience to the Lord did not eliminate but enhanced Joseph's trial. So I think it's important just to get that in my head because what is the purpose? What is the purpose of Joseph's life? It is to preserve the promise. Later we're going to see one that's going to come and he is going to perfectly be righteous. He's going to be righteous in every way possible of being righteous. There will not be one unrighteous thing that he will ever do. And he will suffer for it. What was the purpose? To fulfill the promise. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and then suffered for us. Why? To fulfill the promise of God. I just think it's important, just again, get this in your head as we move forward. So, chapter 39, we're going to start with verse 1. In verse 1, you're going to note here, I'll just read this, it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Sorry, he had bought him. And what we see in verse 1, as you note this, is he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Now, what's interesting is it's going to keep saying like he's an Egyptian. Potiphar's an Egyptian. All of this is pointing back. The children of Israel, the first time that they would read this, when Moses would have penned it and somebody would have read that to them or they would have read it, they would hear he's an Egyptian. It's something that's kind of helping them see. Egypt's going to be a big part of the children of Israel's life and God's going to use that in very powerful ways. And so you're just going to see that he would be in a very high place. Potiphar was like right below Pharaoh. He was in a very high place. He's the captain of the guard. If you think about it in, in, in terms of Rome, the Praetorian Guard, they were the elite fighting force. This guy would have been over those things. He's the, the captain of these things. There's something about him that just says to you, like he is a, a very important man, a very powerful man. He has a very important position. And so for Joseph to be with him and to see what's going to take place is, a, is astonishing, to say the least. Now, I just think it's important to see that, but I also think it's, it's, it's important just to note that even in the midst of this, in his affliction and all that's going on, God is orchestrating all of these events to get him to the place that he is. And we're going to see that as we go forward. Notice in verses 2 through 6, even though jo Joseph faced extreme difficult, extremely difficult circumstances, the Lord's presence with, was with him in his suffering and success. I want you to underline something in verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. In verse 3, the Lord was with him. Both of those things, that, that phrase is something that we should be thinking about regularly. That the Lord is with us. He makes a promise that he is, he is with him. He had told his father, when you go outside the promised land, I will be with you. I will grant you success there. God is not their God. This, the God that's spoken of in the Bible, the one true and living God, is not bound by a region. There were hundreds of gods in different regions, and they would say, this God's for this region and that region. This God, we are speaking of here, the God of heaven and earth, He is with Him in Egypt. He did not leave Him. I think it's important to, just kind of as you're thinking about this, He's going to become a servant here, and He's going to become very a successful servant. But as He's doing that, it's a very powerful, I think, picture to get in your mind, like, could you imagine being thrown into another 
part of the world into another country without knowing their language, without knowing the customs. To be, to be one, a Hebrew is kind of, we're going to see that even in this story, it's kind of looked down upon. And to go there, you've been with your father, it's kind of a small family, and now you're sitting at the place of, of being kind of raised up to a place of great authority and power. There's a lot of things about the struggle that he would have faced. I was thinking this week, there, there is that character part of him that you say, he must have been someone like a sponge. He was soaking up everything that he could, could learn. I, I think it's important I mean, just to note that because I was reading something this week, actually. We were in Shreveport and, you know, probably heard that our baby had surgery and we were in this hospital and this little wing, they had all these paintings. And one of the paintings was by this lady who had uh, been, I think, a servant or kind of a slave in a house of someone in that area. And what she did was, while she was there, there would be artists, the people that owned the home, they loved artists and musicians and all that kind of stuff. And she began to pick up all these things and became a very accomplished artist, in spite of the fact that she was always kind of bound to these people. It was a very beautiful picture, I think, of this even, that, that Joseph's in the midst of all these things and, and all the circumstances that are against him. And you just think about, even emotionally, thinking about his brothers throwing him into slavery, and, and, and like thinking about longing to be with his father. All of this trouble's going on, and yet he's being very successful, and God is blessing him. And I think that's the, the biggest picture here, is that even in the darkest of times, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, and He caused him to prosper. God, God, God caused him to prosper, prosper in the land of his affliction, in the trials, in the struggle that he faced. I was uh, thinking about Anna's grandmother this week. She's 95, and I've told you about her probably before, but, but just the last year has been really t difficult for her. A lot of sickness and a lot of struggle, and, and, and it's just kind of like one day she'll be doing better, the next day she won't be doing well. But she was, I don't know if she mentioned to Anna or her mother, I'm not exactly sure, but, but the, she said that this last year with the Lord, like in her personal times with Him, have been the greatest of her life. In the struggle, in the struggle of this life, in the battles that she faced, they've been the greatest of her life. And it really, she's told Anna and some of them that she doesn't long to get to another birthday. She wants to be with the Lord. I have to believe that Joseph, in his life, he knew God's presence with him, even in the darkest of times, even in all of the fears and the struggles that would have come with him being thrown away from his family and cast into slavery. All of those things, the Lord is with him. The Lord gets the credit for this story. The Lord is the hero of the story. The Lord is working to accomplish his plan in the life of Joseph here. You know what's interesting is Potiphar's life as a result of Joseph being there was greatly enhanced. I mean, the blessings that came to Potiphar as a result of Joseph being there, his quality of life shot off the roof. I mean, there's, there's so many things that happened. I mean, he, he was able to just relinquish all of this stuff that would have been over him. And he would allow Joseph to take that and he could entrust him to do it. There's something about in these phrases in 2-6 through six where it's all, all of the things that Potiphar had were given to him, to his care. And so there's something about, he was probably a very organized person. He was someone that you could entrust things to. He was, he was doing the things that he should have done, but it was also prosperous. It was probably a pleasant place to work and to be a part of because Potiphar could just let it go and let Joseph take it. It's a very beautiful picture of God's hand upon Joseph in making him fruitful in the difficult places of life. Now, verses 6 through 20, things change. Really, 6b through 20. What happens here in this text? It's just, you can note it, but it's just Joseph, 
is someone who's going along, doing what he's supposed to be doing, and all of a sudden Potiphar's wife causes a train wreck. Notice in verse 6b, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, and to be with her. We don't really know why she's driven this way. Potiphar's wife, I mean, she may have thought, I'm married to an ugly old man, you know, I married him for his money. We don't know. I mean, there's all these kind of things you could say, I, I did this, I did that, I don't know. But for some reason in her life, she's longing for this young man. Now, one of the things too is this was somewhat, from what I've read, like a common thing where, where they would just, you know, there were servants that were used for all kinds of horrific things. And so, again, this may have been normal. And not only that, I was thinking with Joseph's life, it would have been a normal desire. He is going to have children. He's going to get married. All those things are going to be a normal desire for him. He's a young man, and you're thinking, good night. I mean, he's having to push her off. It's not that he's trying to restrain himself from pursuing her. She's pursuing him day after day after day after day. It's a very, uh, uh, an unbelievably difficult situation for him. But in this culture, he's given this place of highest honor, and he wants to honor the man who's honored him. And he says, the only thing, the only thing that, that he's kept from me is you. And, and I was thinking about, um, Holmes always says, that, <laughs> he always likes to say, he keeps two of everything but a wife. That's what he tells me all the time. It's like, okay, thanks, Holmes. You keep two of everything but a wife. But what, what he's saying is, is there, that's, that is sacred. I mean, because I, he, he always likes to buy two pairs of shoes. So if one of them wears out, he can wear the same one. Why anybody would want to do that, I don't know. You're supposed to pick new, you know, things. But anyway, he might have five pairs of the same shoes so he can just pull them off the shelf. But the deal is, is I think the point in that, and I just think it's important just to note this, that, that it is one of those things that the marriage bed is sacred. I mean, I mean, throughout the history of just the Bible as you're studying it, you see that in every, almost every civilization that the people of God encounter, that the marriage bed should have been sacred. Hebrews 13.4 says this, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. He's saying, how could I sin against the man who's entrusted everything to me? Now, some people don't like people to entrust things to them. They might see their job as something like, I don't want any more responsibility. But for most, I mean, I think a lot of times when you say someone is entrusting more to you, you're saying this is a great privilege and honor. He's honored me. He set me apart as someone that he wanted to honor and he's allowed me to do that. But not only that, he says, how can I do this against God? You see, in Joseph's mind, both of those things come together. It's a great offense before the holy God. How could I do this against God? You remember when Jesus said, and, and, and really they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. They run together. You can't say, oh, I love God and I don't love my neighbor. He's saying, look, I respect this man. I want to do right by him. But not only that, I want to be right by God. 
I want to do what would be pleasing to God. Those two come together and they run together. And you can say all day long, like I said, like you get in your little quiet time, I love God, but hate those people that work for me. I love God, I hate my employer. I love God, I hate my wife. I love God, I can't stand my children. You say, are you crazy? Or I love God in whatever you can make the list. It's just one of those things where you see genuine love for God manifests itself in a love for people. And you see that throughout the Scripture. And so I just think it's important that you see that. In verse 10, Potiphar's wife did not stop pursuing Kim. She pursued him day after day. It was unrelenting evil. Her passion was so insanely hot for him. She's just longing after him, running after him, pursuing him. She's throwing herself at him. But notice in verse 11 and 12, it gets, it's kind of like picked up a notch. Verse 11, but one day when he went out in the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So he goes to work one day just doing his normal thing. She may have even figured out a way where no one would be there but them. We don't know. She is so emboldened by her desires that she grabs him. I mean, this is like sexual harassment to the max. She snatches him up. She's holding on to him. He's thinking, what in the world am I going to do? He ends up tossing the garment by just, I guess he just ran out of the jacket or whatever and took off running. He hits the road and you see him hitting the road and when he does this, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, good night, I just can't believe this story that's unfolding before me. It's astonishing that she's doing that and he runs away in that way. I thought about uh, earlier, because Robert and I, y'all have a love for Kenny Rogers? Dude, if you don't, something's wrong with you. But he has a song that's, uh, you have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Right? And so he could pick that up. Y'all, if y'all don't know that song, The Gambler, are you serious? No. But anyway, one of the things is like, there is a time where you need to know you need to know when to run. And this was a moment. This is a defining moment in his life. The resolve of Joseph is something to be emulated for us. It's, a, it's almost like this picture for us to say this is the way that you should deal with sexual sin and any sin. It, it should encourage us to want to run away from the things that would lead us astray. To not even dabble in those things. And we see that resolve and we long to have that in our lives. We should strive after that day after day after day. And often we don't. But I just think it's something to stop and say, oh, I, I hope that I would be this way. And I want to fight to be that way. In verses 13 through 15, what does she do? She gets so angry. She probably realizes now it's like the, the, I'm never going to have him, and so I'm going to destroy him. In verses 13 through 15, that's what we see. She begins to say, she, it kind of turns into malice. Her love for him turns into this anger and bitterness and hatred towards him. And basically what she does is she brings in the house, the men of the house and says, look what this guy's done to me. Look, he took his jacket off and he was about to, to, to laugh at me. It's kind of like the idea of making sport of me. Other passages say different things, but she's, he's really, it's kind of this idea where he's trying to point to you and say, look, she is, she is going to destroy him. If she can't have him, she will ruin him forever. And so I just think it's important just to, to note that as you're seeing this unfold, in verses 16 through 17, and, or actually to 18, when Potiphar arrives, she just sits there. 
And she's waiting for him to come home. She may have sent a servant. Go get Potiphar. She sits there by the cloak and she kind of explains again the story that she has made up to destroy Joseph. Of course, as, as Potiphar's seeing this unfold, he, he's kind of... Um, it's one of those things that I think that he may have understood. And, and you'll see in verses 19. Let's just read that real quick. Verse 19 says, As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Now Potiphar was angry, but, but a lot of people say, you know, in that time period for him to kill him would have been nothing. This was an offense that was horrific. It brought great shame on the house, and for him to really just completely deal with it in a way of like killing Joseph would have been an understood thing. There's an element where you think, does he think that she may have done something wrong here? I mean, to save face, I'm throwing him in prison, but reality is you wonder, is he, is he placed in prison and spared because Potiphar kind of had an idea of what was taking place? Now, what do we learn here? Just kind of think about Joseph was suffering for righteousness' sake. Joseph was suffering for doing what is right. Is it hard for you to believe that the Lord is working through your sins and the sins of others to accomplish His plan in your life? We looked at that in Jacob. We said, you know, Jacob sinned and he, you know, he feels like he, he, he gets what he deserves in some ways, but then God extends mercy to him. With Joseph, you think he doesn't sin, but he faces great difficulty. Is it hard for you to believe that? That God would send trial into your life and the sins of others and their rebellion? to accomplish His plan in your life? So hard you believe that God is with you in the midst of those kinds of circumstances? What's the right and proper response? I mean, Joseph could have been completely... As we see later, he doesn't respond this way, but he could have been bitter. Sometimes we think, oh, it's okay for me to be bitter, to carry that sin of bitterness in my heart. He could have been angry and lashing out. He could have been fearful and not trusting the future into God's hands. He, he could have said, you know, kind of almost like responded in a way where he just kind of closed up and never did anything else but just sat over there and sulked in prison. You could just list out the things. How should we respond to the actions of wicked people? What's the right response? I think the Bible teaches we should entrust ourselves to the care of the one who holds our lives in His hands. We see the difficulty as God's hand. God is handing us this in life. He has said, this is what you're going to walk through in this moment. And I entrust myself to the fable Creator who is who's both my Creator and Savior. And there is nothing that is mediated into my life that God does not allow to pass through His hands. He is working out his plan. And we are to entrust ourselves to Him. What does God mean by these things? What, what does He mean by the trial and the bad circumstances and the suffering? God is wanting a maximum glory. He wants to gain glory from what He does. He is about our good and He's about the good of others. If you don't believe this, you don't believe the Bible. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to His purpose. That means that, listen, there are bad circumstances in this life. You face tough, difficult circumstances. You're not exempt as a Christian. Oftentimes, what we see in the New Testament is the more you walk in righteousness, the more trouble that would come. And as a result of that, we say, in the midst of that, God is doing a work. He is weaving in those dark threads, as we'll see in Joseph's life, to to accomplish His plan. He's painting the picture. He's designing the things, and we see that over and over. Now, in verse 21 through 23, what do we see again? Take your pen out. In verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. And underline that. Verse 23, because the Lord was with him. It's, it's, Joseph is not in a good situation. He's first a slave. He rises to the highest place. He is then lied to, about. And a woman makes up this story. And he goes to prison. But, but even in the adversity, the Lord is with him. And notice what happens. The Lord showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Even while in prison, God is, is showing His love towards him. What does that mean? What kind of love is that? It's the idea of covenant love. God, you know how you meet people and say, well, I fell in love and I fell out of love. I fell in love, I fell out, I fell in love, I fell out of love. With God, when we talk about that with His people, it's not falling in love and falling out of love. His love, He is committed. It is a steadfast love. It's an ongoing love. It is a faithful love. It is a not letting go love. He is pursuing Him with goodness and mercy even in the midst of His trials and His difficulties. But now we see God is working and He's put Him in charge again. And he's given him favor in the eyes of this man. And he becomes the one, the most successful man in the prison as a prisoner. It's a wild thing that you see in this story unfolding before us. Now, I think it's also just important. I met a man one time who was a great businessman. And he said the years of his life, and I would never say, look, you should work hard, you should be diligent. But he was saying, like the years of his life that he tried so hard to make it happen, Oftentimes he failed miserably, and I mean, not miserably, miserably, but he wasn't doing as well. And then other times he felt like God would just like touch situations, and he he did work and he accomplished things. And he thought, I don't even know how all this works out, but God is moving and He's doing things, and He was with me and He made me successful. And I don't really even know how to qualify, you know, quantify or qualify it. It's one of those things where God is moving, He's working, and He's accomplishing His work. Now, as we kind of conclude today, I want you to think about a few things. And you may want to take some notes on these, but I think it's really important that we see it. God is intimately involved in the lives of His people. He's not limited. And He is present everywhere, orchestrating the events of our lives. That means yours. Did you, can you believe that? If you're His child, He is working on your behalf. He is accomplishing His plan. You think, well, Joseph's plan's not much fun. But God is accomplishing His work in His life and that's He's doing it for His own glory and, his, and really Joseph's good. The second thing would be like this. The Lord was with Joseph in slavery and prison, both prospering and preserving him while not alleviating his circumstances. If you believe that, what would that mean about your circumstances where you live today? If you believe God is really accomplishing His plan, 
and that He is bringing you through both good times and bad for His purpose, His glory, for your good, the good of others, what would that mean for you? It would radically shape the way we live. Now, I want you to think too again in this way. The way that we know in a much, I don't know, much more powerful way that the Lord is with us. I was thinking about Jesus this week. When you think about Jesus, He understands like He, he lived the life that we lived. He endured great suffering. But listen to me, the difference thing between me and, I mean, me and Jesus is that Jesus came to this earth, He lived the perfect life, He endured all the suffering, but ultimately at the cross, He was forsaken. Jesus was forsaken so that you and I could be accepted. Jesus was forsaken so that you and I could experience God's blessing. Jesus was forsaken so you and I could experience His, His, His presence with us. Over and over as we see this, the Lord tells us He will not leave us or forsake us. Jesus spoke to His disciples and He said, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. The beautiful thing for us that Joseph didn't experience to the greatness that we do is that we look back to the cross and say, Jesus was forsaken. We're accepted. His life is given to us. We have right standing with God. We have the ability to pray to God. We have the ability to enter into the Holy of Holies. We have the ability to know that His presence is with us. The Spirit did come down. When Jesus ascended into heaven, He sent His Spirit. He indwells the people of God. He is with us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not a structure we come to. Within us is the Spirit of God dwelling with us. There is never a time that you could ever feel alone. If you are God's child, He is with you. When you can't see it with your eyes, you have to trust that. He has made promise after promise after promise after promise. I always go back to this, but John Newton's Amazing Grace, he says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and His grace will lead me home. His grace is His presence with us. He is working in the lives of His people to accomplish His plan and His purpose for our good and His glory. This story is a reminder that there is nothing that comes to us that God is not bringing to us so that He might get maximum glory and that we might be blessed in it. One of Anna's favorite stories is a story about a lady named Darlene Rose. She was a missionary in New Guinea during World War II. She and her husband went there and then sometime later the Japanese came in and took over that place. They took her husband. She never saw him again. He was killed. She went into a concentration camp and she experienced horrific things. It's hard to even grasp the magnitude of the trouble and the struggle and the starvation and the abuse and all the things that she faced. And They were just horrific circumstances. But the Lord kept placing this on her heart. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. She would say, in the darkest of times, the Lord would say, I am here. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. And when you hear her story and actually hear her tell it, you're just overwhelmed by the, just God's presence with His people, both in plenty and in suffering. He is there. And when you would hear her story, she survived all of those troubles and God used her to, to bless her captors. 
and God accomplished His plan and then to bless thousands. Her suffering became the ability to be a ministry to invest in other people so that they might know what Joseph learned and Darlene learned and you should learn that God is in the midst of the suffering. He's accomplishing His plan and He is saving a people for Himself and He's doing so by His power and He uses His people to be a part of that mission to accomplish the work that He has on this earth. And we need to see that in the midst of that, whether it's your sin that brought you there, the sins of others, God is uniquely crafting your life to accomplish His purpose for His glory and your good and for the good of those around you. So do not look, don't, don't look bad at the things that God has given. He has placed you where you are because His purposes are never thwarted by those around us his purposes are accomplished through them so i encourage you today to be reminded as we take the lord's supper today and we take it every week you know what we're doing we're being reminded that christ died for us so that we would have right standing before him so that we might enjoy the presence of God, so that we might know that He is with us. So as we do that today, I encourage you to be reminded of that. Also, if you're here and you do not know the Lord, you are outside of the presence of God. You are outside of blessing. You are outside of, the, of a hope. And I just call you to repent, to turn to the God who is here, to turn to the God who will never leave His people or forsake Him, to turn to the God who gave His Son and died in our place so that we could have access to Him. Don't turn away from that. That is our only hope today. Let's pray. Father, we just come to You today thanking You that You have not hidden from us Your plan. That You have revealed to us throughout Scripture, how You're working Your plan to accomplish Your purposes for Your glory. Lord, I know there's people here today who face great trials. Some of them, there wouldn't be great trials in other people's lives, but in their life it is a trial. I pray that they would see Your hand, that You're working in them through their good times and their bad to accomplish Your purposes for Your glory. In Christ's name, Amen.